Aloha. For the last few, uh, almost over a year actually, now we have been going through the gospel of Mark verse by verse. God has been very gracious to us. Amen. Amen. He has been very sovereignly gracious with us in our verse by verse study through the gospel of Mark. And one thing that is very certain about this gospel is that it's a quick moving gospel. In fact, the word that he uses multiple times brought a mark in this text is the word immediately. And actually, you're going to see that word used today in our verses. We arrived at Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. One year. Listen to me, Hawaiians. One year. It took us one year to get through eight chapters. That is what I call faithfulness to the word of God. For those of you who are new, we don't normally speak on topics. We, we are an expository preaching church. We do books of the Bible verse by verse. A couple of reasons. The main reason is we want to honor God with the text. And one of the ways we honor God with the text is simply going verse by verse because we can't understand context if we just started off in Mark 8 today. And so for us, the way we look at it from an academic side is we're looking at from chapters 1 to chapter 8, how the life of Jesus is lived out in his healing ministry, specifically around of Galilee. And I want us to read chapter 8 with this mindset, all right? This mindset. I want you to hear this, that Jesus is king. All right, I want to say that again. As we read these verses today, I want you to have this mindset that Jesus is king. And I want you to see after we articulate these verses, what does it mean for Jesus to be king to us, to humanity? Will you stand with me in the beautiful reading of God's word? As we end chapter 7, we arrive at chapter 1 of, uh, of chapter 8 of verse 1. It says this, in those days when again a great what? Crowd had what? Gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, listen to these few words. I have what? Compassion on the crowd. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, right, a question with a question. Thank you, Jesus. Right? How many loaves do you have? They said, say it with me, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were what? And they took up the broken pieces, leftovers, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And Jesus sent them away. And immediately, see that word again? And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmatha. Nuta, I, I practiced it 20 times, I promise you. 
God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Give us clarity, O King Jesus. In your name we pray. And God's Ohana says, Amen. When I got saved, you may be seated in Oilalo. When I got saved, I became inspired by missionaries of the old days, all right? Specifically missionaries. One of my favorite missionaries that I read about is by the name of Hudson Taylor. In fact, I got a picture of him up on the screen. Hudson Taylor was actually before, right before uh, D.L. Moody's time. But Hudson Taylor was on Howley Brada from Great Britain, right? He was a British Protestant Christian missionary lived around 1830 to 1905, so same time as D.L. Moody, but he was the founder of the China Inland Mission in China. When missions was not popular, when missions were not a popular thing to do out of, uh, out of Western cultures like America and like uh, Welsh and Great Britain and all of Europe, there was something that took place in the 1700s that was called the Great Awakening. And out of the Great Awakening became contemporary preachers like Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor spent many years in China. And what he was gifted at was at academic scholar education, specifically the Bible, written in Mandarin and the other languages that Chinese people had. Do you know today, right, the stats of China is staggering of how many people are coming to faith in Jesus every day. Right now in the last year, the government has reformed in China, and now you either have to be a public government church, if, and you have to go under their rules, or you're a secret church. And most people who are gospel-focused is, is not a government church, but they are a secret church. They're undergrounds, meeting in isolated areas, in pockets of communities in the city, also where people cannot meet. This was all, all, all a progression of Hudson Taylor's era. Today, the stats are staggering that in the nation of China... There are over 10,000 people every day coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. And as we look at our text today, there's a comparison between what Hudson Taylor is doing out of the overflow of what King Jesus models for us and mandates for us in these verses. What is it? What's well, the topic of our sermon? Is the, the name compassion. Compassion. Let me give you some context, right? So here's some background. In verse 1, we see there was a great crowd who gathered with Jesus and his disciples. We know they are on their way to Decapolis. And so we do know historically, even in church history and secular history, that there is a group of Gentiles that reside in this area. This would be not the first feeding, but the second feeding, all right? We learned a few weeks ago in chapter 5, Jesus fed 5,000, almost 15 to 20,000 when you count the families involved in it. Today, we strictly see 4,000 Gentiles hanging out with Jesus. In fact, the text says that they hanged out with Jesus for three days. What do you think Jesus was talking about in those three days? Exactly what he continually talked about in Luke, in Matthew, the kingdom of of God. This is consistent in what Jesus came to this earth to do is to preach the gospel that his father has sent him to preach. And there is a situation that is brought up here. And this is what the situation does. It presents Jesus, King Jesus, with a compassionate heart. 
Jesus displays compassion to a people group that everybody looked down upon. Specifically, when I say everybody, the Jews. We've learned this in the last couple of weeks. There is hakaka. There is a fight between Gentile and Jews. And we see a beautiful picture on how God, Jesus, is not only ministering to Jews, right? But now he is ministering to a group of Gentiles. And so I want you to see two key thoughts on compassion today, and there will be Paohana. Number one, we see the essence of compassion. We see the essence of compassion. Here's a reality truth about our text today. The essence of compassion begins with the life of Jesus, right? I want you to see very clear. Look at what Matthew says about this account of how Jesus had compassion for these 4,000 people. In verse 36 of chapter 9, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and what? Helpless. Like sheep without a what? Shepherd. I would say this to be even more true, that if you do not have compassion in your own heart, right? Hear me out clear. You have a distorted view of King Jesus. Now, there is a sect of people in America that all they do is call out error. They're critical. They're controlling. And nothing's wrong with calling out error because all through Paul's epistles, you see false teachers rising up in the church. And Paul is very consistent in Titus, for instance. Paul tells Titus to silence these false teachers who are in error quickly. All right? And in some scholarly sense, some believe that it was also physical. Physically take them out of the gathering. We also see in 1 Timothy where there was two men by the name of Hemonias and Alexandra. And they sinned against the church of Ephesus. And God told them, told Timothy to give them over, hand them over to Satan. We also see in Jude, in, the, in Jude where Jude talks about to contend for the faith. This was a boxing match lookalike contending. And right here, what I want to share with you that there is not a one-sided gospel. It's not just contending and calling out people in error, but it's also trying to win them to Christ. Can I get a witness out there, right? If a brother is in error, right, then we have to go to that brother or sister and call them out in their area, error. To me, that's a sign of compassion. Understanding the text of Mark, if these Gentiles were spending three days with Jesus, Jesus was probably calling out their error, but at the same time, Jesus had compassion for them because Matthew says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, technically, this Matthew passage is targeting Jews, but this is for all people in general today, this side of the cross. In fact, Lamentation says this about God's compassion. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, meaning it never ends. His mercy never come to an end. Right? It's a song that we sing in church growing up. They are what? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. How many of you remember that song growing up, right? This is a heart. Our God is a missionary God. Can I get a witness? He is on mission, and the way he displays his mission work is through an essence of compassion. Jesus, 
The God, the God man stepped into this earth. Man, he became, the God became flesh for you and I so that you may experience his compassion. I mean, look at the writer, Jeremiah. He says it clearly. His love is steadfast. His love never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. If you're a believer in Jesus, this should make you shout glory. I know we Baptists. But that does not define us in our expression, right? The essence of a heart is that Jesus promised us from his na'au, from his puhuvai, that he has compassion for us sinners. Look at the text. As we look at our story today, Jesus' conversation with his disciples, he simply shares his heart with them by saying, listen to these five words, I have compassion on the crowd. Let me say that again. I have compassion on the crowd. The word compassion is defined to be an emotional movement. Now, now let, let me get some balance here. I grew up in a church. Everything was about emotions. Our emotions really governed our action. So the kind of churches I grew up in, it was very fanatic. Right? People would run around in the church. People would bark like dogs, literally. Who let the dogs out? Before that was famous, right? People would laugh in the spirit. They would call that a doctor. People would be slain in the spirit, fall on their back. There would be fanaticism that goes on. Now, I'm not saying God cannot move, but the way we move should be moved with his scripture. If it's in the text, then praise the Lord. If it's not in the text, this is where I believe with the sensationists that we should not practice. God will not give a new word outside of this word. Amen? There can't be new signs, new wonders, and new vision if it goes against this. If you're paying $100 to a televangelist for some kind of piece of cloth to be healed... That's not compassion. That's greed. That's greed. The Holy Spirit does not just intercede that prophet or fake prophet. This is where the power lies. The compassion that we experience today is the essence of Jesus. He had compassion. The compassion in the Greek language is an emotional one. It comes from the heart. In fact, compassion is used, this compassion is used 12 times in the New Testament, specifically with only Jesus in the Gospels. Why, why do you think that is so? Because Jesus is the only answer to compassion. The compassion was deeply rooted in Jesus, in his na'al, in his puvai. When he saw these people, it grieved him. He had compassion for them. And specifically, his compassion was they were hungry and they needed food. Now, a lot of homeless ministry models this uh, compassion. So a lot of people, if you go to homeless ministry like Salvation Army, anybody that goes down, down at the bus stop, Hillel bus stop, or Mohayal bandstand, you would see that they would preach the word first, and then they would what? Feed. So that's a model that Jesus modeled in this text. But look, listen to me. Look how long Jesus preached. Three days. Hawaiians, you can't even handle 30 minutes of my preaching today. Three days, man. Three days. And Jesus gave their physical need in addition to their spiritual need. It was not, listen to me, it was not directed for someone near to Jesus too. 
These people were Gentiles. They weren't close to Jesus like how the disciples were close to him. I want you to see some beauty in Ephesians 2, how Jesus calls those who are far from him with compassion. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, what? Separated from God. Think about the people that God's ministering to right now, okay? Right here in this chapter of Mark. He says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? It's this, all right? And strangers to the life, to the covenants of promise, having what? No hope and without God in the world. But, everybody give a, a sounding sound for but. Say but. but. Thank you, God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. This is the essence of compassion. That God does not just rescue those who look like him. Those who act like him. Right? But he rescued those who are far from him. This compassion moved Jesus to focus not just on the spiritual need, but also the physical need. I know, look at me, I know ministries out there in the mainland that I was part of. That they would not give food at all until these, unless those guys were in service. You guys ever heard of ministries like that? Right? Right. They use, that you laugh because you know what I'm talking about over here, Marcus. Right? They use the service as a sell point to get them be more Christian. But listen to me. Sometimes someone's physical need is the avenue for their spiritual need. There may be people in your life that need Jesus. And the last thing they want to hear is one expository story, preaching message about who Jesus is. And I get it. That's what we're here for. But the reality is you just being there. Because this is it. People could care less how much you know. They want to know that you care. And that's what compassion does. Compassion does that. And so we see an essence of compassion. But lastly, we, be we see the expression of compassion. Now we're moving on to verse 2 and verse 3. It says, because they have been with me now three days and having nothing to eat, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. Right, right, this already kills the doctrine of slain in the spirit, right? Because Jesus don't want people to faint. Hello, can I get a witness right there? None of you probably understood that. We'll get there someday. And some of them have come from far away. This is a little different from the feeding of 5,000 because from the feeding of 5,000, they weren't in a remote area. They were just in an area that there was maybe a couple miles away from town. We know that because it took them five minutes, uh, five miles to get up to Jesus. This was a desolate place the author is talking about. There is no Walmarts. There is no Kentucky Fried Chicken. There is nothing. It's far where they're at. Therefore, Jesus responds in a miraculous way. Way. Look at Mark 8, verse 4. It says, And his disciples answer him, How can we feed these people with, with bread here in this desolate place? Right? And then Jesus drops the hammer. Right? He asks, he responds with a question. And he asks them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. I want you to see this beautiful symbolic picture of creation. I know we talk about it all the time. But the way Jesus, the way God created the heavens and the earth is articulated in this text 
the same way God will redeem the heavens and the earth. The number seven is very articulated in the sense that everything was good in seven days. Now, it's gone because of original sin in the garden, but what Jesus has come, he's come to redeem the world the same way he created the world in seven days. We see the symbolic symbol of seven. Jesus gives their seven bread, and Jesus multiplies those bread. And we see seven critical ways on how Jesus expresses or shows compassion. Let me see it with you right now. Number one, from verses four to nine, I'll break it down. Number one, Jesus gathers his followers. Now, when I say that he gathers his followers, we're talking about his 12. He gathers them in this desolate place. Number two, Jesus gathered their resources. And let me just say, they didn't have not much resources. All they had was seven breads and small fish. In a Greek translation, small fish means sardines. How many of you grew up in Hawaii eating sardines? Can I get a witness, right? You put, cut up the tomato, you cut up the onion, the chili pepper water, or shoyu, you mix that bottle together, and you get broke the mouth snack. Can I get a witness out there, right? Right, like, like, like you, if you grew up here in the islands, you know what I'm talking about. And then you get the poi on the side, right? And that bugger just helps balance the taste of the sardines, onions, the tomato. You guys understand? I like, I like that for lunch, babe, today now, right? We see that the resources wasn't that much, but it was enough. Number three, Jesus gathered the crowd. This is how he's showing his compassion. Look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus is bringing Gentiles and Jews together. Right? What's going on in Syria right now, right? Jesus can do what he did back then now. Can I get a witness, right? He's bringing the crowd together with these resources. Then Jesus did what we should all do. Pray over our food. Right? There's a cute prayer that my boys do every day. Right? I love it. And if you know it, say it with me. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for my food. In Jesus' name, amen. It's discipleship, guys. It's simple, but some of you can't even say that. Jesus modeled what it means to give thanks for the food. In fact, when he, he had two different prayers. He had a prayer for the bread, and then he had a prayer for the sardines. In fact, the word used for sardines is the word blessed, that he blessed the small fish. And the word blessed in the Greek language is the word makarios. The word makarios is the word joy, is the word happy. Yes, even Jesus loves some sardines. Can I get a witness out there, right? He was kanaka at heart right there, bro. He expressed compassion through his prayers too. And then number five, Jesus had his disciples serve the crowd. Look, not only did Jesus bring these buggers together, but Jesus made them do culturally what was against for them to do. Jesus made Jews serve Gentiles. In the culture, this is a no-no. This is heva, as we would call it in Hawaii. But Jesus humbles his himself and humbles his inner circle to serve this big crowd. Then number six, Jesus satisfies the crowd. We see this in our verses today. He satisfies them. He satisfies them physically for three days, but he also satisfies them spiritually. 
And then lastly, listen to this. This is beautiful. Number seven, Jesus sends the crowd away. Look at these verses. Verses 1 to 8, we see a display of compassion that comes from the heart of God through his only begotten son. Jesus, King Jesus, right? Remember I told you remember that? He displays his kingship through the way he is compassionate for sinners. And I want you to look at the word send in that specific verse. And specifically in verse 4, around verse 3, verse 4, he uses the word that he sends them. The word send out of the Greek also means release. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is a God-man who restores things. Because this word released is actually usually used in the negative tense of Scripture. The word release is used on the direction of divorce. It's a negative word that's used. In fact, we can connect it with Joseph when Jesus was in the womb of his mama Mary. And in the story of of Jesus' birth, it said that Moses was going to release Mary because he was ashamed that he did not have sexual intercourse with Mary, but Mary was already pregnant by someone else. Now, we know that it was a miraculous impregnation, right? It was from the Holy Spirit himself. It didn't occur the way we would reproduce children, right? God in the Spirit planted Jesus within Mary, and Joseph was so ashamed in his human mind that he wanted to release his wife because of this. Listen to me. We could, we could pity Mary, and we could blame Joseph for this situation, but you and I both know that we would be just like Joseph, right? But in God's grace, in God's mercy, we see Jesus redeeming this, this understanding of release by saying it this way. Look at this. In the New Testament, right? Look at this. He said, after he has, they were satisfied, he sent them away. He released them. What does this mean? Spiritually, Jesus released them from darkness to light. Secondly, the word for this translation of sin is in connection with the word apostle. And the word apostle is mean to be sent out. What does this mean? That the Lord didn't just save this crowd. He sent them so that they could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine these Gentiles are now going to go up to Syria. They're going to go up to beyond Decapolis. See, there's a reason why God's rescuing these people. He's not rescuing these people so that we could have a fanaticism conference today to get all wild, run down the hallways. And And if God does that, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But that's not the whole case. God rescued you so that through you, you may be a picture of Jesus to the world. That's why he displays his compassion to you. He's released you. Look at this reality truth, this biblical truth. In God's sovereign grace, he shows his compassion for us that he releases us from physical despair to our spiritual repair. I want you to see this beauty in it. God rescues you from the inside out, never from the outside in. And if God has rescued you from the inside out, give me a hearty glory up in this room, right? And here's the beauty. 
I want, I want you to hear this. Here's the beauty of what verse 8 says in this text. It says it this way. And they ate and were satisfied. We get that, right? But here's the beauty. And they took up the broken pieces left over. Seven baskets full. Here's the beauty. Here's an application for us in this verse. This is how we should respond today when we leave this campus. Number one, here's two things that happens when there's leftovers, right? We save them for what? Save it for later. Now, many of you know that I'm not a big fan of leftovers, right? And all that. In fact, this bugger convicted me as hell. This thing convicted me this week. But that's what happens. You save them for later. And number two, we share it with others. What does this have to do with the food and what and in Christianity? This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God has given to you, He has allowed you to save. The gospel, the message of the cross, his blood, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sin, called telling us that he'll come back someday for us. This is what leftovers mean in this day, that Jesus in his sovereign grace has given us the gospel, not to just prosper off of it so that we may be a blessing to others. That's what it is. The God man, Jesus, he has done that. So if you have received Jesus, right? Get plenty leftovers today. There's plenty of opportunities today. There's plenty cook, uh, occasion that's going to come. In fact, we're moving from this facility within a month. We need your cocoa. We need your leftovers. You need our leftovers. We can't do it by ourselves, Hawaiians. And this is what I love about the sport of the gospel, right? Nobody sits on the bench. Everybody gets involved. And that's what Jesus does. He bridges the gap between Jew and Gentile. He bridges the gap between rich and poor. He bridges the gap between white, black, red, yellow, and white. He bridges the gap because that's what Jesus has done. That's how he displays his compassion so that in his glory we will be satisfied with him alone. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. Jesus, does that. I have nothing to do with it. I am one of those Gentiles. We, y'all, you, and we're all one of those Gentiles. And what we get today is a God who has compassion for sinners like you and me and us and us crazy Pupule Hawaiians because Jesus has compassion. Okay? So this is how we are going to respond. Would you all stand with me? We're going to take the Lord's Supper every last Sunday of the month. We take to absorb the Lord's Supper. And we do it a little bit different. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate it as understanding, number one, that God gave his life up for us. But I want to give some guidelines today. First Corinthians is very clear. There was a church observing it the wrong way. In fact, they would use the Lord's Supper for food to be eaten and that's not what the Lord's Supper is for it's not to be used for oh give me a bunch of bread and that's not what we're it's symbolic so don't practice it that way number two if you're not a follower of Jesus don't take it alright but number three if you heard the gospel clearly we're going to give you an opportunity to repent right where you are alright trust in the Lord Jesus embrace the gospel ask for forgiveness follow him and if that's you 
Amen. Partake in the Lord's Supper. But also number four, if you get hot cacao with somebody in this room, with someone outside of this room, if you get a fight, if you guys not gelling, not in gospel community together because of strife, anger, get right with the Lord today in your own heart. Number two, if they're in here, make porno. But if you make porno with the Lord and you're good with your heart, then partake of it. Listen to me. But if you do not take these responses seriously, do not take the Lord's Supper. We have some children in here, some appeal. If you know for a fact, parent, that they don't know you as Lord and Savior and all that, then here's an opportunity to point them to him. Or not let them take them. Let's use this time. This is not a show, guys. People have died because they have misused the Lord's Supper. The text says it. I'm going to call my alakai up, our alakai up. You guys can pray with them to be porno or whatever you got on your heart. Secondly, we're going to sing to God. And when I feel like we're ready, our ushers will pass out the Lord's Supper, the elements. Would you stretch your hands and close your eyes to the King? God, we come to you with hearts that need you. If there's anybody in this room that's not filled with you, God, sin is separating them from you in relationship or in fellowship. Make them pono with you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. We respond to you in Christ's name we pray. And God's Ohana says loud and proud.